Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Welcome to Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. I'm Alan Gilbreth with DarkOakMedia.com. And I'm Maximilian, and let's see how many different ways we can make the hippies mad on Earth Day. Oh, yeah. Today's Earth Day. That's right. It so, is. Okay. Well, I, you know, I like the hippies, Max. You know, I just want like seeing hippies reason. in an insulting manner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we, we, we love the hippies. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm from there. Touche. There's I'm a, lot of, there. yeah. a lot of modern day hippies, too, that are kind of. Uh, yes, want, but they, I, but I but they, but they had soap and stuff that, you know, we didn't use in the 60s. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you're a hippie, uh, we, we invite you to get in touch with us. You can call us uh, or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline, 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go over to our very uh, dynamic and active uh, Tool Talk Radio Facebook page. Uh, mm. We've already got three posts up there, Alan. Um, I didn't wait. I didn't shirk my duties this morning. Mm, we've got right. we've got our must-have item of the week. Naturally, um, we've got a uh, <laughs> today. We're gonna we're gonna revisit a uh, uh, one of our historically terrible <laughs> segments, Alan. And uh, I'm not gonna tell you. Well, should I tell them what it is? No, because we're gonna get to it shortly. Mm, okay. But we're re- we're 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 heading we're. We're shagging back to the 1970s. No! How's that? So, okay. Um, and uh, another, and then another uh, thing that I posted, Alan, is our uh, great moments in building history. This week, we're going to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much we're going to even discuss the building because after you and I were talking about this, I think it's the side conversations that are going to come out we're, of this. We're going to snicker about the building. So, the building that yeah. we're celebrating this week is the Longa Burger Basket Building in Newark, mm. Ohio. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a textbook example of novelty architecture. Let's, That's putting it mildly. Let's leave it yeah. at that. Yeah, we'll so, put it like that. It's if like, you want, yeah, like the Godzilla Hotel. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be so, interested to go there. Um, is it Godzilla shaped or is it about Godzilla? Yes, I'd, I'd stay there. So, yeah. yep. Um, Alan, uh, in your week in review, which I think sounds like critical information, uh, plumbing inspectors are your friends. Oh yes, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to hope that. So um, there's a lot of good stuff today. I'm not going to over tease because every time I do, we don't get to it. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, Max, we do have a follow up report from last week that I want to jump on. Actually, this this affects both of us, Alan. Uh, Well, why don't you go first, sir? You had a follow-up report Mm. to our stethoscope conversation. Well, Uh, and and if you're if you're new to Tool Talk Radio, last week we were discussing the usefulness of stethoscopes in uh, home improvement. Alan used it to detect a huge, massive water leak under a parking lot. Yeah, we we did that. Uh, We've also another friend of mine uh, tried using a stethoscope to, to find a leak. In his house. Stethoscope. Stethoscope. Yeah. yeah. Get New back. teeth this morning. Not enough coffee. Yeah. Of, however, the big stethoscope story came from meeting uh, Friday, uh, Thursday afternoon when one of the people in there went, I was listening to your show. Yeah. And I found that baby raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where did they find this raccoon? In the wall. Of their house. In the wall of their house. And so they cut a little... One foot by one foot square, reached in and got the little critter, as opposed to tearing Ripping. out different places in the walls trying to catch it. Right. Oh wow. Okay. So, what is that like? Reaching in and trying to get a. You better have yeah, your you welding a, gloves. You put on. a glove on. Oh yeah. yeah. 
Okay. But, you know, the, the big thing was that they kept hearing that scratching mm-hmm. in the walls. And, of course, it kind of echoes around the walls. They, they were trying to find it. And they said, well, it took him about 10 minutes, and he just kind of kept easing down the wall. And finally, it scratched, like, right under the stethoscope, and he goes, about blew the earwax out of my head. I was going to say, because, so, they heard a subtle scratching, but, yeah, you're not going to know exactly but, but which you, stud or which, you know. But in, like so, you yeah. said, when you were playing with the stethoscope and you were listening to, like, the plumbing, yeah, how loud something really was right, right there, so... When he had the stethoscope, honestly, right in front of the little critter, and it scratched the wall right then, he was like, aha, we got you. Right. You're right here. Right. Stay right there. We'll, we'll be there in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, cr- critter got to go to the animal rescue. Uh, they got a small patch in the wall. Everybody is happy. So, once again, the stethoscope comes riding into the rescue. I mean, okay, that's, that is a good story. And I would say if you've got a stethoscope, uh, walk around your house and put it to the walls and put it to the floor, and you'll be amazed the things you'll hear. I mean, it, it, it's, it's louder than you think. It is very interesting. It's very educational, especially at dusk. Right. Because that's when you hear your house doing all that moving that Joe and I are always telling you about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll hear the if somebody's walking upstairs, Mm -hmm. if somebody's whatever. So so a stethoscope saved the day. I'm trying to think of what kind of a parenting. uh, What are what does this say about the parenting of a of a raccoon that they leave their little baby inside of a well, they could get well, it fell down. So the mother couldn't get to it anymore. Oh, so this was a humanitarian. This was a rescue. This was a rescue operation. Uh, okay. Did they regroup it with the mother? Yeah, that's uh, what I'm wondering. I, I believe uh, pest control people had removed the rest of the family by then. <laughs> removed. Wait a minute. So, okay. Maybe there's more they all went to the animal. Want. No, they all went to the animal rescue. I was well, about so, to say the lone survivor. No, no, not the lone survivor, but the one that had to be rescued. You know, there's, uh, you know, Joe, you've had more than one child. You yeah. always have that one child that's that just wanders not quite, off. Right there, you go. This sounds like the. This sounds like the. Uh, um, this sounds like the uh, subject matter of like a Disney animated movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Rascal the raccoon or yep. something. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. Well. Okay. But hey, listening to Tool Talk, you never know what you might. Uh, what what little tips you might pick up. So well, and they also found the flap under the roof where they had been getting in and out and had that repaired. Okay, good. So once again, our advice proved valuable. Okay, well, hey, uh, okay, uh, I have a follow up report. And uh, last week we were talking. Well, I was I was trying to gin up a conversation that I thought was worthy of merit, and we mm-hmm. didn't get as much fo- feedback as as I would have liked. So if you wanna if you wanna weigh in this week. Uh, by all means, mm. but um, our buddy Robbie, uh, he he told me that last week he had t- I got a text from him during the week. You okay, know? Uh, avid listener, Robbie's one mm. of our most loyal listeners. But he said, you know, sometimes he has to get off to work on Saturday, <laughs> so he tu- he tunes in as long as he can, and then he right. he listens to the episode, uh, you know, after the fact. But uh, he wanted to dis- he wanted to weigh in on his Star Wars. Uh, oh, okay. So what what. Uh, if you're just if you're new to Tool Talk Radio, uh, last week I made a, I made the comment that if um, if you look beyond the stories of Star Wars, or if you look just beyond the character, what's going on, and you just uh, admire the architecture, it's mm-hmm. it's a great example of unique architecture and architecture uh, design details. And I was saying that I would like to see some of our homes incorporating some of the this stuff these days. I don't, I mean, there's unique lighting treatments, there's unique uh, uh, there's 
minimalism. There's just, but every time you walk onto a set of a, uh, of Star Wars, you're like, okay, it says something, and it and it describes mm -hmm. the scene. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a great example of unique architecture. And uh, Robbie said that uh, I, I got to paraphrase because this is a pretty long text, but he basically was saying that what what always sticks with his mind is uh, Aunt Beru's desert grotto. You know where Luke Skywalker grew up with the right. uh, moisture farm and the blue milk and everything like that. So yeah, well. He that's the one thing I'm going to I'm going to throw Star Trek and Star Wars in the same basket. Okay. And say that they've been good through their different shows and movies of of having environmentally appropriate dwellings. Right. Yeah. So if it's on the desert planet like Aunt Beru's place, it's very very much like a desert dwelling here in the United States. Mm -hmm. It would be adobe and there would be a lot of airflow and you know they wouldn't be some tight little shack sitting out in the sunshine. Yeah, it wouldn't that, be a stain it wouldn't be a steel structure absorbing right. heat. It's right. it's underground too, so it's cooler down it, there. It, yeah. Exactly. It did all of the right things for its environment. And right. that's a credit to the people who make these shows mm -hmm. that they're not just kind of willy-nilly you know, stick a house out there and we're going to call it a whatever. Right. It's actually a lot of thought goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, it, exactly. He said that one sticks with him. He, he, he likes the uh, utilitarian and minimalistic approach of, you know, whenever you're visiting an empire. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, to me, what, I, what that says is like, if you go into, you know, Emperor Palpatine's throne room, you're seeing there's his throne. There's the, there's the, uh, um, bottomless pit you're going to be thrown into if Leave you annoy us. me, and yeah. <laughs> that's about all there is. But great lighting too, you know. The the it's lit dramatically and everything. But um, and great deflector shields. Yeah, but yeah. I would just say uh, if you want to weigh into again, I'm going to throw it out there. If you if there is any Star Wars architectural details that you think could realistically be um, incorporated into modern living, I, I We'd love to hear from you because I, like I said, there's some great lighting features. There's a lot of good, well, you know. Details. There's a lot of Star Trek stuff that is in our home now. Yeah, so yeah, it's here. So, uh, so we appreciate that, Robbie. And if you if you want to weigh in today, uh, feel free about that. And of course, uh, you know, all of our other great conversations. Get in touch with us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline, 901-683-0989. And go to Tool Talk Radio's Facebook page and comment over there. But, uh, Alan, this is going to be fun. Let's uh, let's get to it, man. Oh, my. Oh, This armor's useless. Why do we even wear it? Oh, you stink! This is the worst. <laughs> Can you tell I've been waiting for this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Max really loves these things. All right, well, Alan, it didn't take much convincing to uh, to get you to talk about this topic. So we've lived through this. Max, you're younger. This is going to be foreign territory. <laughs> it still disgusts me, though, based on my Google search. So in this in this week's episode of Historically Terrible, oh. we are going to talk about one of the worst, really. Oh. 1970s shag carpeting. How'd you guys survive? <laughs> yeah, how did we live? Secondhand smoke. Uh, dangerous toys. If it wasn't the Stone Age where every animal's trying to kill you, it's every stupid thing that humans would do of trying to kill you. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I'm not, you know, when you say shag carpet, I really have no defense. I, it's kind of, you look at him and go, what was the redeeming value? Yeah. Um, well, Really? There wasn't one. If you're younger, I don't know if you appreciate... Okay, because, you know, uh, we should mention there is shag carpeting again. I, oh, I would say yeah. it's more like shag rugs. 
You get, you know, my my teenager. She had a she had a, a one of these fluffy rugs in her room for a period of time, so she got bored with it. But shag carpeting is a different matter, Alan. First, you well, know, it's made of something different. It was in the whole house. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is one of these things where technology arrived at a certain stage. <laughs> And then we yeah. picked it up and ran with it like a four-year-old with a brand new pair of scissors down the hallway. Okay. Of new materials. So we're, we're looking at, at this point in time, the advent of basically, I'm going to call it nylon technologies. Because is nylon basically the same as polyester? Not. Well, I, I remember a lot of polyester clothes in the 70s that were really uncomfortable. Well, that's why I'm like, just going to call it the nylon technology. It's plastic clothes. Because, right. It's, plastic shirts. I mean, that's what it really was. It is petroleum derivative fibers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the look on Max's face. He goes, what? <laughs> How do you guys not get cooked up in your sweaters? Oh, no. Oh, no. no if there was a did. fire in the club, the clothes went up first. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, you, oh, polyester clothing was such a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. However, of, you know, suddenly we have artificial fibers. Uh, World War II is a little bit behind us. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's 30 20, years. 30 years, yeah. but I mean, everybody's still around. But you've got is suddenly all of these new options and new colors started coming out. And that's when we got things like avocado green and harvest gold. <laughs> I and, remember a lot of the green, yeah. You know, these were, these were colors that you just didn't, you just weren't able to produce commercially until now. And I, now I, we just ran with them. I don't want to deviate, but, you know, you talk Ooh. about this a lot, Alan, and you, you even talk about it in printing. So you're saying that uh, our ability to make bold and vibrant colors like that into certain materials, they didn't do so much of that back in the day. And then once that once they were able to, everything became about flashy colors, right? Well, that kind of makes me think of, like, ancient times, or not necessarily ancient times, but like the Renaissance, where it's like you had peasant color houses where they're just muted and boring but it's like oh the way that you show your wealth and status is by look how much color i have in this house versus you right is, well, is, is that more or less and well and the status symbol and, yeah. and, and the flip side to all that is usually really bright dramatic colors mm -hmm. were poisonous well it's more pigment more it, whatever it they usually wasn't very there. good for you right and another technological change that happened was screen printing Oh, okay. Because now some guy in his basement with a little time on his hands could now create any color they wanted out of the four basic colors of screen printing. So here we go. T-shirts can now be printed. Colors can right. now be produced. So we have kind of an explosion. And shag carpet just is the centerpiece of all of this going on. Yeah. Might I interject, or might I rather have Robbie interject? He was saying on the text line, Max, I knew that you were the smartest guy in the room, LOL. But he also <laughs> said, shag carpet is the equivalent to putting a diaper on your house and leaving it on for 20 years. <laughs> Thank you, Robbie. And can't really argue with him. So... Uh, Oh, he, you know, he's into hardwood floors. Oh, he must yeah. hate. Imagine shag carpeting over a beautiful hardwood right. floor. So, right. yeah. Dude, that is what people did. Right, right. Uh, people had the had grown up on beautiful hardwood floors their whole lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean vinyl chloride. I don't mean plank stuff. I mean real hardwoods. Right. And now suddenly the carpet 
and wall covering revolution has begun, and now we are wallpapering and carpeting everything. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to uh, patronize. I don't want to. But I don't want to assume anything either, because people Max's age may may they really may not even be able to relate to this. But basically, today a piece, you know, a carpet fiber is what like a half inch or three three quarters of an inch long. It is not real long. But imagine taking a carpet fiber and making it like what? Th what? What were these like? Three oh, or there four was, inches there was long. Shag, super shag, ultra shag. You could get stuff that looked like a pet. It's like walking in, oh, in your gosh. lawn or something, but it's <laughs> carpet fibers, right? And so let's talk about the problems that create. Well, yeah, so, I, well yeah. let's start with the fact I grew up with a family that had pets. Right. I mean, all right. You've never suffered pain as a child until you're running across the carpet and you snag a toe. In a knot in the carpet. So it's a tripping hazard. Oh my, yeah, it exactly. would throw you to the ground in ways Casper the ghost had never thought of. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. Well, you got pets. How do you va How do you keep that oh, clean? Well. You talk about, uh, oh, man. You, you want to talk? Well, when I talk about how human history stank, mm -hmm. keep in mind, smoking was still the big thing in those days, too. Oh. So the ability to trap and hold odors. We, you and I, how oh. much, how much secondhand smoke did we absorb as kids? Oh, how I mean, many? You go to an airplane, you go oh to a gosh. restaurant, you go. You smoked in hospitals back right. then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, how many smoke haze filled rooms did we walk through? Right. Congratulations, it's a baby boy. See, yeah, yeah. Oh. With a cigarette in the mouth, yeah. But it's, but it's so it's impossible to keep clean. It's a tripping hazard, and I it's mean, shed. Oh my gosh. Right. You could actually take a rake and rake that stuff and get enough stuff to go make a throw rug. Here's a, here's another oh, thing I remember about Boy, shag carpeting, Alan. It was almost like um, you know those uh, you know those parts of the lawn where it's like uh, <laughs> the kids run across the lawn and they cut across oh, yeah, instead the of trails. using the sidewalk. I remember tr like there was the fluffy part of the carpeting, yeah. and then there was trails where every the high traffic area. And, so it that didn't look good. And either. you also had carpet rakes where you could restore <laughs> the nap to your carpet, get rid of the trails. Right. So yeah, shag carpet was just fluff wow. up the carpeting, and, so. and then you knew you you knew it was going to be a night when you know your friends pulled up in a van. Mm -hmm. And the entire inside of the van was shag carpeted. Well, and I mean, oh, you just—I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm having flashbacks right now talking about shag carpet. Well, that was a quick, was, easy way to just, uh, just yeah. Oh, and then the horror is a few years later when the luster is gone, and you're like, all right, this stuff smells. Right, we got to get it out of here. Oh, oh, the ripping out of the shag carpet was just. Horrifying. Yeah, you better wear a gas mask for because that, that stuff now weighed like four times as much as it did when it went in, <laughs> because it's impacted with all of your skin cells and dirt and everything else. And keep in mind, really, realistically, early in, at this stage of the game, the only way we had to clean these things was you went down to your local big grocery store and you rented a steam cleaner. <laughs> Which was this they were like giant box, right? and it jerked so get and bounced, and oh, yeah. sprayed water everywhere, and so you would end up soaking the carpet and then trying to suck as much of the water out of it as you could, and then you nap raked it all back up so that it stood up, 
And then your feet were wet for like the next three days <laughs> while this stuff tried to dry. And it's going into your floor and oh. it's going into your whatever. So, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, it's funny now that you're saying this, Alan, as a kid, I remember, I hate to, I hate to use this term, but you'd walk into somebody's house and there was this old lady smell or this <laughs> old, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there oh, was a, yeah. or more of a, what I would call almost a haunted house smell. Yes. And it was because you just, man, think of all the things back, back then that, that trapped moisture mm -hmm. that we just took for granted. Didn't think about well. it. Like, you know, I mean. I'm so conscientious about moisture now, like content, <laughs> just because I know the damage it can do to, you know, with everything. Well, you know, it's our fascination with whatever is new. Right. Yeah. So new technology comes along and, wow, this looks like a great idea. And a few years later, you look back and go, you know, that wasn't as smart an idea as we thought it was. No, absolutely. And, you know, dishwasher, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Carpeting in the bathroom Bad wasn't idea. our best idea. Right. Uh, and then you got to undo all that. So. Exactly. So, all right. Historically terrible shag carpeting. Oh. <laughs> I'd say that. Well, okay. 1970s. There's yeah. some modern ones that are that are okay. So, uh, if you've got any suggestions for historically terrible, we'd love to hear them because we'll, you know, oh, yeah. uh, we'll add them to the list. You and I have no shortage <laughs> of items we're going to be. It, it's a good way to, you know, it's kind of a good way for us to vent too. Oh. Is some of these items are still around. So. <laughs> I mean, hey, therapy is all about bringing back past trauma. Exactly. Mm. So, uh, so get in touch with us. You can uh, sh uh, shoot us a text at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline, 901-683-0989, and we'll, uh, we'll add it to our list you're listening to tool talk radio here at news talk 98.9 the roar of memphis uh we're going to take a quick break then we're going to discuss alan's week in review tool talk radio with joe and alan i haven't seen you fellas since you destroyed my home my land and my rocket news talk 98.9 the roar of memphis well i mean why we're going to come back it's like <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I'm steering clear of that guy. Yeah, well, that rocket was not was not flight worthy. What can I say? There you go. <laughs> and welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer Carpentry and Wood Turning here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from DarkOakMedia.com and our pal Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And uh, we invite you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and check out the action over there. There's a few posts of interest there. Uh, uh, we have our must-have item of the week. We have our Great Moments in Building History conversation coming up, all about the Longaberger Basket Building. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, if you missed, if you're just tuning in, boy, you missed a fun discussion. All uh, our historically terrible segment where we discussed 1970s shag carpeting. Oh, so. I'm, st I'm still having the creeps from that one. And uh, <laughs> a, an ongoing theme because uh, we people are weighing in on it again is uh, if you have any thoughts about uh, incorporating Star Wars architecture and mm. design elements into modern into modern homes, which I think is a good idea. There's a, it doesn't mean your whole house is going to have like a droid charging station or whatever, but there's 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 lighting features. Your, yours there's, doesn't. Well, I can't, <laughs> I, no comment, but there's a lot of uh, nice design elements and mm -hmm. accoutrements that, that um, are worthy of, uh, you know, bringing into our homes today. And Max, you said some, I was surprised that uh, 
Agent 732 didn't weigh in, and you go, oh, yes, they did, actually. So, <laughs> yes, okay. yes, the agent has, has spoken. So what does agent, what does he or she have to say about this? Well, they said the set for Star Wars had to be both alien and accessible, a different place, but people could live there. Star Trek had a tougher struggle of what would the thing we use now look like in a couple hundred years, i.e., like I'm a flip phone communicators. <clears throat> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, that is a good point. So they had to project. They had to look at what we would do and project out. So, well, you know. I mean, if you think about it, they predicted cell phones. Oh, they were way ahead of the. They curve. predicted yeah. tablets. You're talking about Kirk's flip, like uh, communicator. Well, yeah, the communicator, the flip phone, was right. basically a cell phone, as right. far as we're concerned. Of, I remember Picard early on. Of, I remember Scotty walking around with a tablet. Basically, an a iPad. flat computer, right? And we were still sitting there with the forty-pound monster with the huge C CRT. You know, uh, you know, I'm looking at this little one-inch thick monitor here, right? You know, during those days, that our monitors were two feet deep, right, and weighed thirty pounds. And he's walking around with this little piece of, you know, little flat clipboard thing in his hand. Sure. Yeah. Uh, next thing you know, tablets become a thing. Um, now, I remember one time when my father was in the hospital, I saw a tricorder get used. Okay. They it, and it made the star it made these Star Trek noise. Yeah. They aimed it and then aimed at something else and started printing. <laughs> and I mean, this was early in the game, so this was still pretty Star Trek. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's a that's a worthy uh you know, I'm still looking more for the architecture. That's kind of my thing, but uh Max did some uh Robbie also kind of inquired, perhaps, maybe the Robo Kitty litter box qualifies as uh, I'm a Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yeah. That definitely qualifies. Yeah. Star, if you're, if you're living on, uh, if you're living on uh, Coruscant, you're not going to take mm -mm. your, take your, well, they don't have any parks there, I guess. If I, so. I'm, I'm thinking of like a Star Wars equivalent to the Robo litter box. I'm just thinking of B2 from Andor, that big boxy robot. It's like, <laughs> poor B2. Poor How'd y'all give me that poor robot's programming? Oh, another cat. Yeah. All right. Well, we're straying a little far into, uh, into uh, you know, geek tank territory, but uh, we appreciate you guys weighing in on that. Uh, I'm still, like I said, I'm more thinking of the aesthetics and stuff mm. like that. So, um, Alan, it, Put a pin in it. You mentioned something about electrical stuff that I want to. Um, I want to ask. I have an electrical question. Mm, okay. Regarding a um, a phone charger that I want to ask on the air because I wonder if anybody else has had that. Uh, so we're gonna get to that in a minute. Before we do though, you know who I want to talk about? Our good buddy Larry Brown with Brown Refrigeration. Ooh, smart home systems. Um. Okay. Uh. Later in the show, <laughs> we're going to be talking about a company. <laughs> That does not that, that let's just say our in, in our opinion does not have a solid business model. They didn't. <laughs> they they didn't, and they paid the price. You know who does have a great business model is uh, Larry Brown with Brown Refrigeration. You think about the things he's seen. It you know, it, it, having your own uh, having a, having a company a successful company through what forty. We're getting close to we're getting closer to fifty years with Brown Refrigeration. Yes. Ro think of the things that that company has has seen. Think of the the uh, eras that it's that it's. Uh, oh, they started at the end of Shag Carpet, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you yeah. That's what you want. You want somebody that uh, not only has weathered all the storms, but they can anticipate. You know, that's the other thing about the Brown Refrigeration business culture. They're constantly evolving, and they adapt immediately to the to the latest technology. They they incorporate basically the best of whatever that generation 
has to bring. I'm sounding very dramatic about this. Mm, I mean, yeah, we, are, but yeah. but it is true. It's just an observation, and uh, it, it it what it creates is a very dynamic and um, just a very solid business culture, and that's what you want with your HVAC company. You do you you do not want to play games with your HVAC system. That is one of the Ooh, no, most don't. important features of your home. And if it's not running properly, well, for one thing, it's going to be way more expensive, and it's also destined to to fail which you don't want that. So get in touch with uh, Brown Refrigeration for tune-ups. You know, get it, get, you should at least have them out once or twice a year. These tune-ups are very minimal. They, they, um, they can anticipate problems. They can, they can do tweaks here and there to keep it running properly. But also what's great is Brown Refrigeration works with, like we said, the latest technology there. They work with train systems, which mm -hmm. are just, I mean, they're, it's interesting when you look at a, a HVAC system from, you know, 30 years ago to today, how much they've evolved and how, how efficient they are and just how, um, you know, it just with the uh, smart home, I mean, with the uh, smart home systems. And then of course the, uh, the, the big evolution too has been the um, Remy halo system with the, basically using the UV power of the sun to kick out cleaning. Uh, it, it cleans the air, then kicks out the cleaning particulates that, clean every surface they land on. So if you've got uh, shag carpeting all over your house, oh boy. Uh, I don't know if it can combat all of that. But. <laughs> I'm not sure anything can overcome shag, but, you know, it's a good chart. And good if, start. And if you need to uh, replace your system and maybe you want to finance it, they've got great financing as well. Zero, You know, all sorts of great options. So give them a call. They answer their phones. Another great part of their business culture. Uh and get in touch with them. Uh, you can call them directly at 901-362-1881 or go to their very easy-to-remember website, brownref.com. Also, they have a great Facebook page. We need to, mm, we yes need to pitch that more often. Uh, they have a pretty dynamic Facebook page, I would say. So check it out, Brown Refrigeration. Great, great company. Hey, Alan, okay, I I don't know if this is just my phone or something, but this is – I this. this Everybody has a phone now. They have a smartphone or something, and a lot of you know we have we have USB ports. Some of them in our in our electrical outlets and Correct. things like that. Okay, Alan, I bought this cord. I bought this charging cord. Now, granted, I'm still on an iPhone six, <laughs> which is from what a hundred years ago. I, I had or one of those ten years ago too, Joe. Okay, so, yeah. Well, on this one cord, in fact, I'm looking at it right now. Is it is there is it possible to have a charging cord? that actually drains power from your phone. Because I swear, I'm looking at this, and it hasn't moved in the last hour or so. And, and I mean, I am in the market possibly for a new phone, but my phone works, and, you okay, know, I don't drop it. But I this, this charger, when I use it, it seems to drain power. Okay, that is probably your battery. Yeah, but my battery health is 96%, so... It's mm -hmm. only this charger. If I, if I plug it in with the one in my car, it works great. If I plug it in at then, home, then it you, works Then great. you have a defective charger. But yes, electricity flows both ways. So if you're, Well, the reason if, I ask is because we may have items in our home. Uh, that's what I was asking is... Uh, oh, now if you want to talk about it, phantom electricity... That's what I was getting oh, at. Because, so, let's talk be, about phantom electricity. Because I feel like this is an important thing. We might have appliances. We might have our phone. And and if you're if it's acting weird... Maybe it's not the phone. Maybe it's a charger, or maybe it's you know. Oh, you are very correct. Okay, of, that's what I wanted to talk about. Phantom. So that's that's what we're talking. about. Yes, phantom we're, we're talking phantom power. Okay. All right. So basically, let's take a look at your house, and let's understand the basics of how 
modern electrical equipment is set up. Okay. So you have a generation station, usually formed by your municipality, and they send a lot of voltage out into the field using AC systems. Okay. All right. An AC system basically loads electrons into the line and then just keeps pushing more in behind it and shoves them down the line. So if we're thinking of it as water, it's just... It's well, just it's it's water coming in pulses. Oh, okay. Direct current would be constant pressure. Okay. But AC is this cycle. That's right. where we get, you know, the 110 volts and 60 hertz. Okay, gotcha. 60 hertz is generally... 1800 rpms okay you're giving it, me a lot of things all right, yeah, okay. a lot of stuff just to get to the house okay right. then you have a junction and we don't just take the power and run it all over the house we run it into a box that box is the breaker box right in which your electrician has designated these lines over here this is what's going to run your dryer is it correct to th okay? You know when you're when you're describing it because I'm I'm going back to my water, mm -hmm. you know, because you got to explain this like I'm five years old when it comes to electricity. So I'm picturing a straight. What if you had a strainer like a spaghetti strainer? Right. Okay, and then you have some of the there, there's all these little holes. But what if you poked like a big hole in one? So through that hole, that's exactly a bunch of water is going to come out through these little holes, a small amount. So it, you know if you have an outlet that is powering your computer versus one that's powering like a double oven or a washing machine or something like that. So is that, that's is a that great a example. Okay. That is your breaker box. Okay. So the it breaker is, box is the spaghetti it strainer. It is the spaghetti strainer in that particular okay. example. So your electrician has designated the lines for, let's say a three phase air conditioner or heater. Okay. So that means there's going to be three cords that go to that unit. And they're going to carry the proper voltage for that unit. Now, where you get into kind of an interest is that the breaker separates each of the normal everyday lines out into your house. Okay. Which are normally 15 or 20 amps. Right. And amps is the amount of work. But because you've got a series of these running around the walls and you have stuff plugged in, even though it's not on, it is now part of the electron storage in your house. So, like your computer, you didn't unplug it. You didn't remove it from the circuit. So, it is still a part of it. Um, and if you have remote on, then it is still drawing a very small amount of power. See, that's what I've heard. I've heard if your appliances, I mean, okay, obviously the microwave, if it's plugged in, the, the little but clock, the little is, clock is on. But even even if you have an appliance where nothing appears to be on, it's still technically drawing a little power. It right? is still connected to right. that network of power. Electrons are still being stored as a part of that system. Okay. So what can happen is something like a surge protector, which stores power. Right. If it's getting older and defective, power may be coming and going both ways. See, that's okay. That's getting back to my original. How does it go the other way? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, uh, well, if what the, causes that? Well, if the failsafe in there, or you know, let's just say physically something has failed, a small piece of plastic that separated the two metal plates from each other has failed, and now electricity is crossing over. You can actually create a short circuit 
Okay, okay. Now you're making me think, Alan. What if you've got a, a, a an extension cord or you got a cord and you stretch it? You know, for whatever reason, you stretch it. Oh. Well, the inside of that plastic and everything, if it breaks, now those two wires could be playing off each other or they, they could be coming into contact. They, they could, could be, be coming into contact. And that would draw electricity out the other way or something. Uh, well, it, anytime you shorten a circuit, you are looping electricity back around the other way onto itself because electricity works much like water. You got to think of it kind of like if you put it in, it's got to come out. So you've got a hot and a neutral. You know, it's okay. Sorry, but you're making me think, Alan, because I've seen this and and I was guilty of this when I was younger. In my younger days, if I wanted to yank a uh, an, a, a cord out of the wall, like if I was just like, okay, I've, I've plugged my extension cord in, I'm just going to grab it. Right. And, well, if you, you know, if, if there's, if, if that plug is in there and you just yank it by the, by the cord itself, every time you do that, you're probably loosening the attachment and you're weakening it. You know, oh, you're the definitely weakening way, the socket. The better way is to grab it by the, by the actual plug and unplug and it. And unplug it, correct. Because I'm thinking with this, with this charger that I've got here, I wonder if at some point I've just, I yanked it too hard or I... Somehow, when I was winding it up, I stretched it and whatever. I'm just going to go buy another one. Yeah, but, I uh, would. Uh, but so, in other words, don't you? You got to respect your extension cords and your and your, you know, basically your cords, well, right? So. And happily, with USB cords and stuff, we're getting away from everything on the planet running on 120, right, or 110. Uh, we're now running on much less voltage than that. Uh, like your doorbell runs on 24 volts, so the lesser the voltage the less likely it is to spark, arc out, and catch on fire. It's just going to do like this is doing or just drain it, it can It can create all kinds of havoc going on in there because I don't know what's going on in the circuit board. Right. Because the other thing that happens to electrical devices today is you'll get a crack in the circuit board and the lead coursing, the lead traces that you see on these boards can become of... Uh, disenfranchised they can overheat they can begin to provide a lot more impedance right aka resistance and this is where i go back to my you know when i go back to being a jerk in my ghost hunting days of walking around <laughs> with a uh, temperature gauge and i would check the temperature of every single wall socket in the walls right because when you know that wall socket right here next to us is pretty much the same temperature as the room you're fine. Mm -hmm. But then you get to the one in the corner where dad constantly keeps cracking the whip on the vacuum cleaner cord and right. snatching it out of the wall. Right. And that socket is now five or six degrees warmer than the room. Mm -hmm. You've got damage to that socket and it's beginning to resist and it's building up heat. And that's where you can possibly get a house fire. Okay. All right. Well so be kind to your electrical equipment and it won't burn down your house. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd be curious if anybody else has ever had that where they have a, like basically a reversal of something just because of one, one faulty cord or one, you know, charging thing. So, well, I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, I appreciate you doing that on the air, Alan, because I think this is, I'm just going to go get another cord. This yes. One, you know? I would definitely I, get better equipment. I know yeah. it's funny because this iPhone six, it's more or less, you remember that episode of Seinfeld when Kramer, and that uh, guy were driving the car until it ran out of gas, and it was like turning into this big adventure. And that's kind of how this phone is. Until it's just dead, <laughs> dead, I'm going to use it till 
just you know it, more of as a scientific experiment so okay well alan let's uh let's change gears okay <laughs> oh, <the> humanity. <laughs> and uh now that we've woken everybody up or blown out their ear so uh it's time for alan's week in review if you're new to tool talk radio alan is uh out al one thing about alan is he works in a he works in a commercial setting dealing with state regulations mm. dealing with uh facilities that have you know you know they could be two hundred thousand square foot facilities yep. and he's responsible for all of the uh, maintenance and in the and you know keeping those in shape so you never know what what he's going to be up to on a given week, and so we like to review that. And uh, what were you up to this week, my friend? Well, uh, I, I got two cases. Uh, one of them is water damage ceilings, and the other is the plumbing inspector is your friend. Let's go there for yeah. let's let's go to the plumbing inspector first. I'd of, like to think they are. I mean, I hope they're our friends. So. Well, you know, in the in the DIY business, people like to do stuff themselves. Yeah, and. There is a limit to what you should do yourself, right. and there are reasons why we have codes. Yeah. yeah there are reasons. Tell that to the guy that owned my house about 40 years ago, whoever he might be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't think he, he didn't believed have in codes. codes so. Yeah, he yeah. didn't have codes. Okay. Because uh, I don't think toilets on your roof were in the zoning or. Oh, no, this is way before that. So, yeah, yeah. So okay. the guy who built your house was right. also, as we like to say, they closed the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so plumbing inspectors. So here we yeah. go. Of one of them, I'll pick on one of my neighbors who has been desperately for the last few of uh, last couple of weeks searching for a leak coming out from underneath his foundation. Oh boy, yeah. And as he has searched for this and has researched this and has worked with the municipalities on this, he's discovering that. You know, a house built in the late 60s, early 70s, there there was a running gag that said contractors bury their dead. Yeah. Well, it was the Wild West back yeah, then. He's yeah, he's dug up a lot of the dead around his house trying to solve this problem. Oh, man. The amount of concrete and rocks and just weird debris, mm. you know, a foot or two underground. So, obviously, it was there sure. at the construction of the house. Right. And, and bless his heart, he has diligently attempted to not dig up the foundation of his house. So we're, okay, this is different than the stethoscope thing you fixed. So. Well, yeah, this one's, this one's this a little under more a serious. Yeah, this one got a little bigger than that. And if you have a water leak under your house, you don't ignore that because now it's it's creating a sinkhole and now you're compromising the foundation. You're, you're making a place for critters to, uh, you know, or mosquitoes to breed it's it's just a one after the other your so, backyard yeah. is becoming a rice paddy right yeah, yeah. okay of uh, so thank goodness um uh, he he finally got hold of a buddy of his who was an excellent plumber by the way oh good and in trying to find the lines across the front yard and where they should have been and what was the standard for the time versus the standard now because the standard now is you can track things by where they put the cleanouts. Right. Like you can do some deductive reasoning and, and find where the uh, lines are running 
under the yard and under the you right. Know, and the, hopefully you know, under the cleanouts the right here. Right. This connection's right here. Right. The chances that your pipe is right here mm -hmm. is a good ninety percent. Right. Well, like you said, this is a little bit more of the wild, wild west. <laughs> so it, it looks like a gopher went mad in this oh, poor geez. guy's yard because oh, we gosh. ended up digging a trenching all the way around the front of the house, and we ended up having to go back out to the meter by the street to dig up there to find out what angle that pipe was going across, and nothing in his front yard was straight. Oh, man. I mean, this went to that angle and then had a hard left turn and went that direction over there. And, you know, this would have never gotten past a modern plumbing inspector. Because every 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 corner that it ha the water has to turn is a place where the toilet paper can clog up. It's a or point the, of failure. Uh, whatever. Right. right. It's a point of failure. So, yeah. So, bless his heart, you know, working with a good plumber and, of course, the plumbing inspector came out and was telling him the woeful stories of the early 70s yeah, and that how what they were doing was big thumbs up and this was going to fix the problem and you were going to be good for another 50 years and you weren't going to have to worry about this ever again. Okay, because you know what you're saying there, Alan, about the plumbing inspector. And it, it, well, let's face it, you're doing a home improvement project yourself. You're kind of dreading that inspection process. Mm -hmm. But then again, when the inspector comes and they fix and they they sign off, it's very exciting. You're like, I've done this up to code. I can oh. sleep well tonight. But what you're pointing out is something else that's important because the inspectors are also uh, really good at, at identifying problems that happened 70 years ago. or And they're like, so they're, they're kind of a wealth of knowledge. They should be anyway. Well, and so they can come out and probably help you uh, anticipate a lot of problems. And so you should tap into that knowledge that well, they have. So. You know, it's not a person you should dread. Right. You know, but you know, there is also no excuse to not fix it correctly. Right. Because it is your home. Well, and, and especially when we're it, talking water right. and sewer. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, you got to get it right. So, um, but so in other words, the role that the, the inspector uh, served in this situation was basically their expertise. Is that what you're saying? Was, I mean, they're of, of what was going on in the The past. verification of what we discovered and the verification that our solution was the right one, was done correctly, and you got a stamp of approval, here you go. Instead of just digging up the whole yard oh and, and guessing. <laughs> and it, Well, I mean, it's it's tempting to do that. But, yep. um, it, it, you know, it could be intimidating to call, but just, you know, get beyond your fears and just give them it a call. It was worth the call. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, Alan, hour one of Tool Talk Radio wow. is in the can. I don't know where it went. Uh, in the can, <laughs> okay. But hour two is coming up, and among other things, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about our great moments in building history, the Longaberger Basket Building. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. News Talk ninety eight nine, the roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. And welcome to Hour 2 of Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and our pal Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and check out what's going on over there. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we've got a few, you know, few juicy things over there especially boy i feel sorry for you if you missed our discussion about uh 1970s shag carpeting <laughs> which we discussed in our historically terrible segment but uh 
you know, and uh, Alan gave us sort of a, a he answered a electrical question on, uh, uh, you know, on the spot that I threw at him about um, basically, you know, faulty electrical cords draining power and working in reverse, basically, you know, more or less. So mm. uh, good stuff. But if, if Alan, what if they miss something and they're just crying into their coffee because it's like, well, I can never hear that again. I, I, I woke up late and I missed tool talk radio's first hour well never fear right oh I mean, we have we have the answer for you okay because we are a part of the amazing podcast world yeah so you can find us on spotify and or youtube uh all you have to do is look up tool talk radio or dark oak media yeah we are there 24 hours a day seven days a week and uh we actually have joe we have hundreds of hours of content for people to binge oh yeah you can binge listen it's 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 a lot of fun you can even you know 98.9 them uh you can go to 98.9 mm-hmm. uh the roar their website as well so it's you know there there's no reason to no reason to fret no reason to fear yeah uh, just like can, us and subscribe yeah yeah and give it yeah you know what we don't ever plug that enough you should give us a five-star review because what oh, yeah. that means is uh well it helps us and it helps other people find uh find it the does. show so uh alan Shortly, we're going to get to our great moments in building history. But uh, before we do that, we have uh, let's get to our must-have item of the week. So, um, I've already posted this on uh, Facebook. This is um, I, I I call this the uh, timeless. Uh, I guess it's sort of timeless. But uh, tell people what I'm holding up here. You are holding up the infamous punch all. Okay, so this is a punch all. Yep. A W L. And it can punch all. You really can. This thing is about as basic as you can get. It's a wooden handle. Uh, I don't even know how many years I've had this. You can tell this looks probably probably 30 years old, right? I mean, uh, those date back, honestly, thousands of years to early leather working. It's just basically a spike and a handle. Robbie thought it was a ice pick or something, which I guess you could. You mm-hmm. could use it for, I mean, I don't know. but uh, I've used them for that. <laughs> it's mine. Okay, so there's some that they have a wooden handle. This is, I mean, I bet you I paid five bucks for this. Maybe three bucks mm-hmm. back in the day. This is, bas- it's as basic of a tool as you can get, but you you definitely want one in your, in your arsenal because, well... Uh, Max, you've used this in your day of cosplaying, right? For not the punch all, but I've used like the clamp leather all. You know, like the thing that looks like a hole punch for mm-hmm. like paper. Mm-hmm. It, so I've used an equivalent to punch holes in leather to for punch cosplay, holes in, yeah, for cosplay and everything. So, but Alan, um, this is, uh, I mean, okay, I use this when I'm uh, working on my lathe, and I, uh, you know, when you first uh, get the uh, get the the wood set up in the lathe, you need a, a a little small hole so that the the right. the chuck will grab it and everything. This is a nice. I I almost don't even need a hammer with this. I just more or less line up where the hole's going to go, and I just put a little weight because it's on the end grain. Mm-hmm. But these things are very handy, and I I'll confess I've used it for purposes that you weren't supposed to use it for. Too. That would be mostly what I used <laughs> it for. But, uh, What's your favorite uh, application for the old? Uh, all? My you don't want to ask me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to ask him either. Is, Not as a weapon either. Uh, Alan, so, we're yeah. we're gonna we're gonna skip the days as a ninja. Right. Uh, okay. We're, we're gonna go for lining up the holes. Okay. What do you oh mean by that? Oh my gosh! The number of pieces of equipment I've had to put together where you got to get two or three things lined up, mm. one to the one to the other through and you got to put a screw through all four holes oh gotcha man that thing right there is invaluable just run him down there get everybody lined up so they're all in sync 
Mm-hmm. Hold everybody carefully. Slide him out. Slide the screw in. Put the nut on the other end. Saves. I that that one tool has probably saved my life a year. You're, of you're, just downtime trying to line stuff up. Yeah, and it's simple and it's basic. I will say, you know, now one thing on this, I have to. I was looking closely out at it, Alan. The the tip has a tiny little bend in it, like and. Yeah. Uh, those you can are, fix that with a grinder. You can fix that with a, well, or even a file or something. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you don't have a grinder, but uh, you definitely want that because that little deviation will send it yeah. sideways or whatever. So, but an all, I'd love to know if anybody out there has got any good all stories. Oh uh, my gosh. You know, so many of, <laughs> yeah. If you do, get in touch with us at the uh, Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline, 901 683 0989, and share your adventures. Uh, hey, speaking of the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline, let's talk about our good buddy, Jay Hill. Oh, yeah. Um, Alan, it was another one of these weeks where I was just uh, sitting back uh, during the uh, torrential rains <laughs> and everything and looking up at the ceiling and admiring my, uh, you know, thinking about my Big M roof that I have mm -hmm. in my home. And uh, you and I have been through this. I mean, in the old days, I, I, you know, I've talked about this on the air before I met Jay Hill. Boy, I had constant roof issues, and I was yes. every time it rained, I dreaded it. You know, and um, and plus the uh, you know it was just I don't know. There's the peace of mind factor, and the plus and the the fact that my house is no longer being damaged from mm -hmm. leaking water. But uh, boy, the roof is something you have to get right. Your roof is fundamental. I mean, what else is more important than the roof? Oh well, and the <laughs> fact that Jay looks at your whole exterior of your building right as one shot. He starts at the roof and then goes, "Okay, let's talk about the roof. Let's talk about the gutters. Let's talk about the siding. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about bulletproofing your home." Right. Well, that's the thing about it. It's a, I, I like Jay's emphasis on the basically the exterior protection of your home because I mean when it, it, it these things are no longer um, these things are all systems the gutter system mm -hmm. the siding they all work in harmony and Jay is an expert at all of these exterior systems uh, with the with the roofing of course he works with GAF and he's a master elite installer he's always five stars with the Better Business Bureau the thing about Jay that we always like to showcase however is in 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 addition to using top not top notch materials and systems for the exterior uh, of your home, is he's also a former insurance agent. So you may be in a situation where maybe your roof was damaged, maybe your uh, the the siding, maybe the windows, some maybe you have some damage that's actually covered by your homeowner's insurance. Well, you need to know that, and you can't just call up your insurance company and say. I have this damage and mm. come over and fix it. It's, it doesn't really work that way. You more or less need an advocate on your side. And so when you have these issues, Jay Hill will come over. It's a free consultation. Um, and he will he will let you know whether you have a path forward with that. And if you do, man, is that an exciting proposition that, that you and I have both benefited from his uh, his expertise. Yes. And yes, if you don't, have. then he'll let you know that as well. But it, you'll you'll. You'll leave the meeting with all the information you need to make it to make the next decision, and of course, um, you may want to finance uh, th this uh, this project on the outside of your home. Well, if you need to do that, Jay's got um, thirty lenders at his at his disposal. You you can uh, apply, you can qualify. Literally, I mean, probably in. The, I think it takes like 90 seconds to qualify. It's not long. You get approved uh, by a certain number of lenders, and then you start looking through the terms that, that work for you. And then, you, and then you're in control, and you choose that. So 
great people, great business culture, rock solid company, and he's just a fun guy anyway. Jay's, you know, just call Jay if you're bored and you want to talk about <laughs> you want to talk about sports or something else. Don't call him if you want to talk about Star Wars or Batman because he's totally not a, clueless. Yeah, not not a geek. But get in touch with Jay. You can call him directly at 901-484-5645 or go to Big M Roofing and Remodeling. Dot com. All right, Alan, this is going to be a wide-ranging and very interesting discussion. Let's dive in. Great moments in building history. Okay, you know, Alan, great moments in building history doesn't always mean uh, unlimited success <laughs> and uh, great, you know, I don't know. It it, it isn't always it, we we deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we, I wonder if we need to start calling this noteworthy moments in building history. <laughs> but this is a more modern construction, and really, I don't know how much time we're even going to dwell on the actual construction. It sounds so boring, though, when you put in an application. It's like the episode of The Simpsons where it's like, "Well, let's go visit the box factory." <laughs> it's like. Do we get to see a finished box series? Like, no, that takes place in Flint, Michigan. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so here we go. We're going to talk about the Longaberger <laughs> Basket Building. Do in we get Newark, to see a complete Ohio. basket, sir? Yeah. Well, well, you know, you're driving down Ohio State Route 16, and off in the distance, you go, huh? Yeah. Did somebody leave a lunch basket over there? As a matter of fact, they did all seven stories of it. Yeah, so it's it's a seven-story building, and it looks, I will give him credit, it, uh, basically the owner of the company, uh, Mr. Long, what is his first name? Anyway, is it John Longaberger? Anyway, he uh, he wanted his building. Now, okay, maybe we got to paint a bigger picture. So they make baskets, Alan. I think there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great, that's a legitimate company. You you know, we if you, if you look around, that baskets are used all over the place. Florists, yes. uh, Easter baskets. You might have baskets for decorative purpose. There's baskets everywhere if you really pay attention and look, and somebody right. has to make those baskets. So well, and, that's and, what they do. And I will give a longer burger basket massive props in the fact that it is a hardwood basket. Right. Normally maple. Mm -hmm. And they are very handcrafted and very durable. Yeah, they take a lot of pride in their quality. And of, you know, they, they really began back about 1919, kind of one of those uh, Great Depression things mm -hmm. of the Longaberger family made baskets, continued making baskets. And uh, around 73, they started selling baskets through home shows. Right. And one of the big marketing models of the 70s, but we're just bouncing on the 70s was what they called multi-level marketing. Okay. So Joe signs me up, and I sign up Max, and Max signs up Ditch. And, Sounds like know. a pyramid scheme. Well, no, it, well, everybody gets a certain percentage. Right. The more middle, and the more middlemen you're including, the, and the, the more lesser people your are profits. out there selling baskets, the better it is. And of you know that that type of business did extremely well for a while. And then, you know, the recession came along around 2000, well, and by fade. 2008, you know, it's, you know. The internet. Okay, because let's, let's talk about the building, Alan, and then we're going to talk about the all the side thing, because really, it's, the, the okay, let me back up. Let me just say this. Keep this in the back of your mind, folks. I have a, uh, there's a guy out that I've, I've made friends with, uh, Steve. He has a hot dog cart, Alan. Right. 
delicious hot. I've never had a bad meal there. I because I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna hurry and if I'm, I'm in that part of town, he sets up at this one part of town and he sells hot dog the, the Nathan's hot dogs right. Right. I get a couple of those. I get in. I get out. I get I get my hot dogs and uh, he told me we we got to talking about his business. Well, basically he he pulls up with this thing. He bought the thing outright for I don't know a thousand bucks or something. Right. He sets up, he probably makes four or five hundred bucks in the course of three hours, and then he goes off and fishes or does whatever else he wants to do the rest of the rest of the day. Cause he has uh he, he gets in, he sells his hot dogs around lunch, and then he and then that's it for the day. That is a great business model. He has almost no overhead. He keeps his he keeps his prices, he gives you a consistent product. And he, uh, you don't have to wait around. It's a reasonably priced thing, and he has very low overhead. That is a strong business model, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's keep that in mind with the Longa Burger Basket Company. And then we're going to go to the 90s. <laughs> so the Longa Burger Basket Company has this company where they're cranking out baskets. They're making a billion they're, dollars. They're in, printing money. They're and... making, and so this, this you know, I, I'm, I'm not judging. I don't know, but I'm saying if you're just strictly looking at this in terms of business, Okay, you got to keep your business working first before you start buying all the bells and whistles. Well, the, Mr. Longaberger decided that they needed a new office complex. They new headquarters. So they may, he, he basically took a basket and he set it down. It looks like, like you said, like a picnic basket. And he said, I, he went to the architects and he said, I want you to build me this. Mm -hmm. And to their credit, what they did, they this building looks exactly like a big uh, picnic basket or something yep. with the handles on top. And uh, and so it's it was a great idea. I mean, it's novel. If you drive by, there's no question about what this business mm -mm. does. Oh no! However, this thing costs like thirty. I think they said thirty-two million dollars to build, and I have to believe eighty thousand square feet. Okay, so Alan, the big yeah. the big noteworthy thing about this construction, the building itself is interesting looking, but there's nothing special about the. There's nothing unique about it however when you get to the handles that's what we wanted to talk about so these are giant handles they're made i don't know what they're made of they got to be steel or something they each weigh 75 tons yes and, and then they're heated because if you have ice build up it's going to crash down onto the sun onto the skylight right below the skylight it. over the atrium yeah. so that the ice, you know the snow and everything melts on it but okay that's what i was interested in because you and i have been talking i mean we're, we're thinking at least a third of the building costs had to go into just the handles alone right i mean oh. these were pricey to do this well yeah and and also because of the weave pattern mm -hmm. of floor number one really easy to do okay. floor number two really easy to do floor number three now you gotta line everything up with floor number one so oh, okay. as you keep going up to keep the basket aesthetic right these things have got to line up perfectly They've got to be the same type of construction. They've got to hold up. And it really, when you look at this and you look at it and he goes, it really looks like a basket. Well, every one of those scoop outs mm -hmm. is a scoop out. Yeah. You got to build it. It's got to be the same angle. There's it's windows be the there. Same, There's, yeah. It's got to be the same coverage. It can't store water. Right. You know, you know, so all of this is going into building this building up. It has a center atrium, and we all know nothing. Just nothing is more attractive and more wonderful to a building than a skylight. It looks great. You're in nothing the atrium, is you more look up. detrimental right. to a building 
than a skylight. You have a hundred and fifty tons uh, of these free floating, um, you know, big handles right above your and head. Steel handles, right? That uh. had to be custom heated mm-hmm. so that ice and water wouldn't build up on them during a storm or during the winter and come crashing through the skylight over the atrium, right? So a lot of money got spent on the aesthetic of the building rather than just a 180,000-square-foot building. Right, yeah. So I would say probably a good 40% of the cost of this building really has nothing to do with being able to go to work. No, it's it's the aesthetic. It's the aesthetic of the building. I mean, it is a big old, and I got to tell you, no matter what picture you look at, whatever angle you look at this, mm. it looks amazing. No, it's cool. I mean, it does look like a basket. Uh, but, but you know, Alan, you and I were also talking about the fact that this was built. So this, I think they started it in 94, or they designed it, and it was completed in 1997. Yep. And we were talking about just the difference in technology, even between, you know, 1997, wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. But in terms of technology, we've had a lot of leaps. It's 25 I mean, this, years. This thing probably these days would have been built of, like, I don't know, carbon fibers. It probably would have weighed, up, you know a tenth of what it weighs now, right? I mean, it could have been done a lot differently. Yeah, 10 years later, the, the, the structure design probably would have been drastically different. Right. So we're right at the end of the 80s and 90s building building turn with their technologies. And great technologies. The building looks great. It's still holding up. It's still sitting there. But wow, did they spend a whole lot of money on stuff that had nothing to do with being able to plug in your computer. Or sell baskets. Because, I mean, that's what their business is all about. Right. And I want to mention something else. So if you go to their head... Okay, so this is where their offices were. Right. This isn't where they made the baskets. No. So they had a big factory that employed, like, at one point, like, over 8,000 people. Right. I mean, and then... So this uh, Mr. Longenberger, I hate to say... He reminds me a little of, like, Walt Disney or something in terms of... Uh, he Okay, so when you pull up, it's not just a matter of here's the factory over here. He wanted to recreate, um, like, basically an old Americana town square. Right. And it, it, it's like almost like you're pulling into a whole neighborhood. And it's got, to, in the middle, it's got this big basket of uh, apples. or I mean, this thing's like 20-something feet tall. So and this whole thing is like that Simpsons box factory. He's like, oh, where's the finish box? Oh, that's at Flint, Michigan. Oh, that's at the boring, I'm um, a... Uh, that's at the boring factory over yeah. the little town square. Max can't let go of the Simpsons. I mean, he, I he's, know, it's you know, okay. But but it's it's so you pull up and so there's a, in other words, Mr. Longaberger seems to to really focus on bells and whistles because none right. of this a town square, a basket looking office building does not generate any money for you. That costs you money. In addition to that, he had this this uh, antique barn that he thought would be nifty to have on site. And he basically paid the fees to dismantle this thing and yep. move it. And we're talking, bar- we're, we're, a barn doesn't paint a picture. This is a massive structure. I don't know what it even cost. That It had to cost millions to do this. So you have all of these expenses and all of these flashy things. And if the economy takes a turn, which, which it, it did, did. <laughs> now you suddenly have all these liabilities because now you have a building that, how the heck do you resell a basket building? Are you going to get your $32 million back? Uh, you- no, you're not. <laughs> gonna so, say, so now uh, we're straying into the conversation of solid business practices because the Longaber- let's just cut to the chase. The Longaberger Basket Company doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, they do. Right? Do they? I, yeah, they're I thought, still, they're still Are you around. sure? Yes. 
I think they're gone. Alan. No, the no, latest I'm video looking at their website as we speak. Okay, so they're still scratching and clawing along. But well, they're they, not what they used to be. They right? are not what they used to be. They are uh, still selling their wonderful baskets. Okay, and but they are a much smaller, much tighter organization who sells via the internet, home decor, baskets, and that type of thing. Okay. But yes, the Longaberger Company still exists. Okay, okay. Well, that'll be that'll be interesting to to follow up with. Because but they are I not, watched. They are not the billion dollar a year industry that they were in 1999. Well, see, that's the thing because you know we talk about. Well, we're, we were just talking about Larry Brown and Jay. Mm -hmm. We're talking about solid business principles, and to me, this is it's 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 neat having a building that looks like a basket and everything. But at the heart of it, if you're not smart with your business, you're not going to be around. And uh, it sounded like they were a little slow to adapt to the new business models that were mm. emerging, especially when it came to internet sales and everything. You, right. Once the internet came along, it changed everything. And Man. if you didn't adapt, you were uh, you were history. You got hit. Yeah, you did. All right. So we'll 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 continue that uh, we'll continue that conversation, and we've got some other interesting uh, points to get to. You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar, Memphis. We'll be right back. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. How tough am I? How tough am I? I had a bowl of nails for breakfast this morning. News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. That's what my uncle said before he bit the dust. <laughs> Alan, what do you like to garnish well, your just, nails just, with? Just yeah. remember, you have to floss after biting the dust. Exactly. So, so welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com. And our pal Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go to the uh, Tool Talk Radio Facebook page and check out all the action over there. Uh, and send us your ideas. You know, we we, we, we like uh, listener feedback. We, get, we have a few loyal listeners that are pretty good about sending us feedback, but we want more. So, um, and especially if you've got any ideas for future... Uh, I would say future great moments in building history or future, even more fun, future uh, segments for historically terrible, which yeah. you and I are just having too much fun with those. Cause I, I'm having more fun because I get to push the button. Yeah, he gets to push the button. You and I get to, to vent, more or less. <laughs> Reminisce and go, wow, that really was a terrible idea. And we can't monopolize the 1970s, but I I'm, I guarantee the 1970s are going to be a part of the conversation for oh, years to I, come. I'm, I'm going to pick on 50s institutionalization before too much longer, I okay. promise you. So a lot of lot of ways to interact. So, um, hey, Alan, before the break, we were talking about our, in our great moments in building history. We we're talking about the Longaberger Basket Building in New Newark, uh, Ohio, which is right there off the freeway. I guess you can is it the freeway or whatever? It's a yeah. it's a pretty busy road, and um, it it looks just like a basket. It was meant to be. Okay, so they have their factory over here that does mm -hmm. the, you know, that does the actual self making of the baskets. And then this was their their corporate headquarters, you could say. And at the time they built this in 1997, um, I heard, you know, people were saying this company was unstoppable. They were doing a billion dollars in sales every year. Right. They were they had they were employing 8,000 employees and everything. Well, I was starting to do the math in my head, Alan. 8,000 employees and a billion dollars in sales would to be that actually sounds like some pretty tight margins. You've got a manufacturing plant. You've got what, what we were mostly focusing on was it seemed because the Longaberger Basket Company is we're, we're debating, but it really is no more. Right. The Longaberger family isn't even a part of this anymore. Right. Correct. 
it it went i mean they went from 8000 employees to 3 or 400 employees and we submit that part of it is probably because you just spent 32 million dollars building a giant uh well. basket building <laughs> that now and then when they re resold it they the, some guy snatched it up for like a 1.2 million well, That's not a very good return on your investment. I'm, I'm thinking and, of a lot that happened between 97 and 2001 because well, you had yeah. you had you had a, a, a huge revolution in a lot of businesses. You also had dot com. Mm -hmm. So you had businesses out there that were being funded in the billions of dollars. Right. That are gone. They were they were gone by 2001, 2002. Because dot com became dot bomb, and a lot of business practices kind of went out the window. And by 2013, the Longaberger Company and their business practice had pretty much hit the skids. Well, the thing is, you you talked about the uh, different business pr practices in the old. You know, the, you might have a contract with Max, and he has a contract with me for like you. You make the baskets. I have a, a retail store that mm -hmm. sells the baskets. By the time I actually get my baskets, I probably paid two or three different middlemen to get it. Well, when the dot-com thing comes along, I might be able to eliminate all those salespeople and I just go straight to the Longaberger website and I say, send me 8,000 baskets of this thing mm -hmm. or whatever. And if you don't if you don't adopt to that reality pretty quick, you, you may not be in business. There, and, there are a lot of companies that uh, agree with you. And the reason I didn't. wanted to yeah. bring this up, and, and it is, uh, we will say it's a it's a nifty building. I hope they re reuse it for something, and I hope they keep the handles, and I hope they keep it going and, and all that. But what I was mostly interested in was uh, I was thinking of contractors and different business people you and I deal with where um, – We've we've been through some of these uh, different changes, Alan. You, mm -hmm. If you don't adapt to the newest uh, technology, or like not only the newest building technology, but just the newest way to market your business, you're going to get left behind. I hate to say, I mean, you have to if if you don't have a smartphone and a website and quick ways of getting people estimates and things like that. You know what I mean? It's well, like, I, I believe the te the technical term you want to use is. Are you meeting marketplace expectations? Right. Yeah. Do you have the stuff to work in the marketplace that you're now in? Right. And a lot of companies that built these huge sprawling headquarters and that kind of stuff, you know, it's it's kind of ironic that it's rarely 100 years later. Mm -hmm. It's generally within a decade that right. there's a new technology shift or there's a next economic revelation happens and suddenly these huge megaliths begin to fail. Right. Or I'll even pick on of another huge thing going on in the 80s and 90s was shopping malls. Oh, yeah. I mean, that I was mean, the, the hangout. That's the where you went. The bigger, the better. Right. And... They're dying. You know, they're 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 rapidly becoming a fading piece of architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Memphis, the the largest one has already been removed. Yeah, you know the the old Mall of Memphis is With an the empty ice field. rink and everything. Yeah. yeah, yep. So, well, I think that's what it is. This is a cautionary tale. And and you said that the Longaberger basket. Now the thing is. Fundamentally, they made a great product. They made good quality baskets. They That's did. a noble thing. They're they're supplying people with something that they need. 
It's just you got to do it smart. You can't. You know. Well, they even had at one point like forty five thousand independent contractors. They called them home consultants. Right. They were the ones doing the shows and doing the home parties and the. I mean, it was a lot of people involved in this company. Right. So. Of and you know they still exist. Of they're now part of uh, XELB. Of basically the uh, Robert DeLorean, the guy with uh, XL Brands. Is that the uh, that's DeLorean? Robert, Robert W. DeLorean, not okay. not the other. Not, there's more than one. That's DeLorean. John DeLorean. Yeah, yeah. There's I more than you. one DeLorean. Okay. So of uh, XL has continued the brand, and they have a lovely website, and you can still get a amazing longer burger basket. Should you so desire. Okay. I, I did have one beef, though, Alan. I just want to say this. So, mm. okay. Um, uh, because what's going on now is more or less somebody bought the building. They Like we said, they paid $1.2 million. It cost $32 million to build in 1997. Mm -hmm. So this is more or less, I would still call that a newer building. You know, yeah, this it's is a still modern within its economic life. So that's yeah. a huge, I don't know what the math is on that, but that's a huge loss in, uh, that's pennies on the dollar. Um, the other thing is then COVID hit. So mm -hmm. the building's just basically empty. The one thing, though, that I've been told is that they're trying to register this with uh, the uh, Register of Historical Places because they're saying it is a landmark equivalent to the St. Louis Arch or something like that or the Seattle Space Needle. And I'm like, okay, I kind of got to draw the line at this. This is a building with two big handles on the roof. This is, no, I mean, the, the St. Louis Arch is one of my favorite constructions of all time. I think it is just one of the most, and the effort it took to make that and the just mm. the quality of that construction, I don't think you can put this b basket building up next to that. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't. I, <laughs> you know, what is art in the eye of the beholder? I guess. Uh, I don't like, know. Uh, we'll have to find out what's next. The building is back up for sale again. Yeah. So if you got $6.7 million, you can decide what happens. It'd be a to great place for a, a hotel or something. Or um, They've thought about that. They're yeah. thinking about possibly even a tech tie-in that might come up. Okay. But we'll, we'll, follow, we'll follow this story and see okay. what happens. Yeah, I would say if you want some, uh, just go jump on YouTube and watch some videos about the uh, the, the Longa Burger Basket Building. <laughs> so, all right. Hey, Alan, let's shift gears, though. Uh, you've got a story that we didn't tease at all, but it's, uh, it, it's fascinating, and I think it ties into our discussion today. Hail Science! So what do you got for us, sir? Well, I, we've been looking at a giant basket. Yeah. <laughs> that would, you know, especially for 97, I mean, this is amazing craftsmanship and building mm -hmm. of, but you know, they didn't have a 3D printer. No, this is just, I mean, if they'd have waited 10 years, 10 years to, to, but to you know, well, 10 years later, well, they maybe 20 built years, building, but yeah. Know. So, okay. Of, all right. So, so 3D, we're going to 3D printing. So we're ask me how far 3D printing has gone. I dare you. Well, I know that <laughs> in the early days of these conversations with you, you could, you know, it started with 3D printing plastic and things like that. Now you're telling us in the future, uh, they're doctors are going to be 3D printing like a replacement lung for you or things like that. So <clears throat> that that's not in the future, Joe. That's, yeah, that's now. And of course, we've seen these giant 3D printers that are more or less making you, you just stick it up on a slab and it's pouring a concrete, you know, house for you or something mm, like that. That's a product so. called Lava Crete. Okay, so yeah, you're preaching to the choir, Alan. I know All 3D right. printing's come a long way. So. All right, you ready? Yep. All right, let's go to Georgetown, Texas. Okay. 
Icon, a construction tech company, along with Linar, a home construction company, and the uh, Bark Ingalls Group, which is the architects. You say Bark? Yep, B-J-A-R-K-E. Are they from Iceland or something? Yes, that would be a European <laughs> architecture company. They don't like vowels over there? Or what? They are going, okay. they, have, they have put in the paperwork to build and develop Wolf Ranch. Oh. A 100-home, 3D-printed community. Wow. Wolf Ranch sounds cool. That would be a... That's a good name for a band. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> so a 100... Home, let me do the math on this. 100 home. That's a pretty big... That, that, how many acres? Are, that's a pretty that's, good amount of acres. That's miles. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're talking an entire community. Okay. An 3D printed, eh? And the big thing is they have already set up and begun, and the product that they're mostly using is a variation of concrete called lavacrete. Mm. Is it lighter? It sounds well, like it it's would be printable. lighter. Right. It's, it's formable and, and pressure printable Okay, so that they are going to 3D print an entire community. Um, I wonder how long it takes to print one house and how many printers they have and then how much of because obviously it's not like you just print a house and you move in there's 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 parts of it that'll be printed and then you still need craftspeople to build build exactly. out and, and exactly. trim they'll, it out they'll and, be you know <clears throat> there'll be some robots there'll be some drones there'll be some people and but talk about the size of this project this is absolutely off the hook so you're going to be 3D printing over 100 homes plus the associated community. Hmm. Okay. And this is uh, Texas, so it's going to – and this is – I'm thinking – A little north of Austin, Texas. I've, I've never been to Austin, but I just know Texas has some pretty uh, – I mean, they get pretty extreme weather with the heat, tornadoes. Uh, and, this you know. is what's called the hill country. Okay. And it is dead center of what you would consider classic – Texas. Okay. It's a little dry. Tumbleweed. It's a little mesquite. Right. It's well, it's not desert. I okay. mean, it's not it's not out in the plains, but this is just a little north of Austin. And Austin has a fairly good water supply and again, it's classic mesquite Texas. Okay, I'm th well, I I've got several so, questions, Al. So, okay, 100 homes. Now, obviously, it's in their best interest to get these things built and sold and, you know, mm -hmm. people moving in and everything. So is this more efficient than hiring, you know, 500 craftspeople to build a home? I guess I'm I'm wondering what this actually looks like. You know, the, you've got because obviously they can't buy 100 3D printers or something like that. I mean, uh, so they probably have, what, two or three going at a time. They print out whatever they're doing, and then they move it to the next slot or something? Well, or? all right. Well, keep in mind, trying to envision the, the biggest thing to this is this is supposed to be an environmentally sustainable community. Oh, okay. It is going to be, as as the architects have put it, it is going to be architecturally striking, but they are going to stay with the Texas ranch house style, mm, which okay. is... The, fundamentally the standard house in Texas. It's got the front porch and all that good stuff on it. Yeah. But what they're looking at is the tech of actually building the home. Like you and I have talked about, if you thought about a house from beginning to end and said, what I really want is. Right. That's what they're doing. And they have set up 
the 3D printing. So basically, the the robotic part of this is just going to keep moving through the community as we keep just building in phases. So house number one starts printing. House number two is getting the slab. House number three is getting cleared. And then you just start moving the entire process in a very efficient manner all the way through the community. Now, uh, this is not, none of these companies are new to this game. All of them are already known people in the building industry. Right. So it's not like they're figuring out, well, what happens if you dig a, you know, what happens if you dig a sewer right here? They already know. Okay. So they're already good at community planning. But what they're doing is really automating and more or less perfecting the system of if we've got the walls right on house number one, I'm not worried about building and worker fatigue on house number 13. Right. Okay. I'm going to get the exact same construction, the exact same quality, the exact same materials in house number 50 as I did house number 25 as I did house number one. Because as we all know, if you're using all human crews, yeah. even though they're building the same floor plan, your house may be fabulous. Mine may be a, bit, a little bit of a lemon. Well, I was wondering because obviously they're not going to have exactly the same floor plans for each of these homes. Otherwise, you know, no, no, they have like they communist have, Russia or something. Well, they have so. different floor plans. They're going <laughs> from about 1,500 square feet to right. about 2,300 square feet. Okay. You can get a two or three uh, uh, bathroom three or four bedrooms. So there's there's some various styles, but all of this is pre-programmed in to the 3D printer going on to the lot. I guess what I'm wondering is with these, because, you know, we were just talking about business, uh, you know, uh, a, a business uh, model and things like that. Well, we have all the, you know, let's face it, every five or 10 years, there's some just new, uh, landmark technology that comes along that makes something else kind of either obsolete or just, you know, um, not useful anymore. And I'm just wondering if you're a construction company, the real challenge, oh, those do look good. Alan just showed me a picture of the the house. It looks like a really nifty little ranch house. So, yep. But uh, the thing is, um, Alan, let's suppose you're, you're a construction company. Well, you know, you, if I need a 3D printer that prints a ranch house, I, it's got to be expensive, I'm sure. How many of these do I buy? How much, uh, which model do I get? Which, you know what I mean? Like some of these things, uh, it, it's just a lot to consider. And if, if, I, if I buy a bunch, I might, you know, I might stay ahead of my competition for a while. But what if the next thing comes along and then well, makes it, it's, it's a real balance, you know. It's it, not like it's just, I don't know. It is. And... But we have 100 homes to go in this community. And what's going to happen about house number five mm -hmm. is we're really going to dial in the timing. Okay. Yeah, well, that's you, probably true. Right, you, and I, you and I have worked together before on projects. Right. And we all know that the first time you do something is the slowest, most oh, yeah. painful part of it. Yeah. About the third time you've done it, you really start kind of getting your groove. Well, how many times have we bought something from like, you know, Ikea or something? Maybe you buy four or five of these mm -hmm. assemble yourself cabinets. Well, the first one is slow. Once you've built the first one, you're like, okay, I don't even need the instructions anymore. Oh, I got anymore. the logic gonna... now. I know what widget right. goes where. Right. And, and you're five uh, times faster than the yeah, first one. Yeah, the fourth one, so. or fifth cabinet you build is like a whiz. 
and you just fly through it. You're not even reading, you know, you're not even translating the instructions anymore. So what I'm curious is because they're using a lavacrete substance on this, you're using already an R factor in the walls. Well, see, I'm trying to envision this R because, okay, the only 3D printed house I've seen so far was more artsy. It had like wavy walls and part of the, it was, uh, yeah, it was part of it was the, the, the waviness added to the strength to hold the roof up and everything like that. But what you showed me is basically, I would not know that was a 3D printed house. It just looks like a normal right. ranch house. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out is what the 3D printed part, what is that? What are they printing actually? Or is this, is this replacing the frame? Yeah. So you're not going to have studs. You're not going to have. This is going to be a lava crete printed floor plan. So no studs there. Is it the roof? Is the roof printed this way too? Or well, the, again, you're going to have different 3D printers producing different aspects of the production. And you're probably, and these are not truly 100% 3D printed. They will be hybrids. Okay. So we're going to 3D print the efficient parts, but where it's more efficient to have your crew come in and put in the studs or do the wiring or, you know, the, the human interaction on this is going to be hybrid with it. But a lot of the everyday just grunt work of getting a house put together is going to be done by the robots. Okay. Well, um, it's so this is a sounds like it's a first, you know, doing uh, I don't know that we've seen this this big of a complex being built. I mean, 100 houses, that's that's a lot. So, yes. Okay. So, uh, so just stay pointing tuned, out, yeah, just yeah. kind of pointing out, you know, uh, we're talking about the robots are coming. Well, the robots are here. And they're building houses. Okay. Well, you know, uh, let me shift gears, Alan, because I want to I wanna share something, and this has nothing to do with robots. Oh, this has okay. to do with good old-fashioned uh, just skill. Well, I guess well, there was a little technology involved, but I just wanted to share something that, I've been, uh, that I saw yesterday that really just kind of warmed my heart and uh, really made me appreciate things. But uh, I've been on this job, as you, as you know, Alan. I, I, uh, was in, I'm in the middle of a bathroom remodel where mm -hmm. I'm doing the carpentry work and I basically did all the demolition work, which involved, they had this, uh, they have an upstairs uh, shower and it's, uh, I mean, it's an upstairs bathroom with a, with a shower, but this, this shower area was one of these where it was fully enclosed. There was walls on each side. It really, you walk, you look in it, it, it was like a cave. It had dark tile. Right. It was badly lit. It was just kind of dreary and depressing. And it was eating up a lot of space too with that, you know. So I ripped everything out. I tore the walls out, mm -hmm. you know. And so what they're going to, they're still going to have a walk-in shower, but it's going to have those glass, fully just glass doors right. and everything. Well, we're finally at the stage where the tile guys came in. And man, was that something to see? Because I don't. I know how to do tile and I can do it, but it's not my specialty and it's not, um, you know, right. concrete work is not, don't hire me to do concrete work. It'll take forever and I'm not the person. So I really have an appreciation when you, when you see that, but these guys came in and uh, if you can picture, I had a little pad that I constructed. I had to make sure it was perfectly level and all that other, but their job was to come in and put in that, uh, that rubber liner. Right. And then fill it with concrete. And these guys, man, this uh he was he was uh floating this out with he was he was you know talking to me he's look he's barely even looking at it. and and I'm watching him do this and I I I looked at it and it was as smooth I mean it was almost as smooth as glass and I'm like mm -hmm. that is a skill I, I mean 
that's something to see watching somebody do that. Oh, and then, I mean, it's just it's just really cool to see that that level of craftsmanship. You know, there is nothing better than watching somebody doing something that they are a really good at and obviously love doing. Yeah, yeah. And tile work, you know, I like to call it magic with mud. Because it can be amazing when it's done correctly. Well, from top to bottom, these guys did great. So what I was going to do is next week I'm going to take – I'm going to have pictures and I'll post it on the Ooh, website awesome. and all that. Hey, Alan, real quick before we get out of here, we haven't even plugged what we're doing. So, oh, wow. Uh, what, uh, what's going on with Dark Oak Media over there this week? Well, Dark Oak Media has all kinds of new stuff. We got a brand new episode of It Came from the International Market. There will be an episode of – of cooking in a tiny kitchen and of course all of our podcasts are up and uh once again really thrilled to be part of the podcast family mm -hmm. over at youtube awesome so okay uh for me let's see um if you um let's if you have an outside project for your home that involves wood that's my specialty mm -hmm. and i do keep a low overhead so my prices are uh, affordable <laughs> if you want a deck or a pergola or a patio cover or anything really uh, an interesting outdoor wood project Give me a call. You can call me directly at 901-921-7105 or go to my website, thorshomes.com. Alan, the, the, the end of the show sort of snuck up on me. I just uh, well, but, it got but, here quick. But I do want to. Uh, I will circle back next week and uh, and and share some stuff with these uh, these tile guys. Top notch mm -hmm. work. It's always great to see that. So, but it's time to get out of here, Alan. The clock waits for no one. So uh, you've been listening to another interesting and action packed episode of Tool Talk Radio. But it's time to get out of here. So on behalf of my buddy Alan Gilbreth and our pal Max over there behind the glass. I'm Joe Thorderson. Thanks for listening to Tool Talk Radio, and we'll see you next week.